Section 5 of the Satyricon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denny Sayers. The Satyricon by Gaius Petronius Arbiter. Translated by W.C. Firebaugh. Volume 2. The Dinner of Trimalchio. Chapters 27 through 37. Chapter the 27th. Having put on our clothes in the meantime, we commenced to stroll around, and soon, the better to amuse ourselves, approached the circle of players. All of a sudden we caught sight of a bald-headed old fellow, rigged out in a russet-coloured tunic, playing ball with sublong-haired boys. It was not so much the boys who attracted our attention, although they might well have merited it, as it was the spectacle afforded by this beslippered paterfamilias, playing with a green ball. If one but touched the ground, he never stooped for it to put it back in play, for a slave stood by with a bagful from which the players were supplied. We noted other innovations as well for two eunuchs were stationed at opposite sides of the ring, one of whom held a silver chamber-pot, the other counted the balls, not those which bounced back and forth from hand to hand in play, but those which fell to the ground. While we were marvelling at this display of refinement, Menelaus rushed up, he is the one with whom you will rest upon your elbow he panted what you see now is only a prelude to the dinner menelaus had scarcely ceased speaking when trimalchio snapped his fingers the eunuch hearing the signal held the chamber-pot for him while he still continued playing after relieving his bladder he called for water to wash his hands barely moistened his fingers, and dried them upon a boy's head. CHAPTER THE TWENTY-EIGHTH To go into details would take too long. We entered the bath, finally, and after sweating for a minute or two in the warm room, we passed through into the cold water. But short as was the time, Trimalchio had already been sprinkled with perfume and was being rubbed down, not with linen towels, however, but with cloths made from the finest wool. Meanwhile, three masseurs were guzzling Falernian under his eyes, and when they spilled a great deal of it in their brawling, Trimalchio decided they were pouring a libation to his genius. He was then wrapped in a coarse scarlet wrap-rascal, and placed in a litter. Four runners, whose liveries were decorated with metal plates, preceded him, as also did a wheelchair in which rode his favourite, a withered, blear-eyed slave, even more repulsive-looking than his master. A singing boy approached the head of his litter, as he was being carried along, and played upon small pipes the whole way just as if he were communicating some secret to his master's ear. Marvelling greatly, we followed, and met Agamemnon at the outer door, to the post of which was fastened a small tablet with this inscription. 
no slave to leave the premises without permission from the master. Penalty, one hundred lashes. In the vestibule stood the porter, clad in green and girded with a cherry-colored belt, shelling peas into a silver dish. Above the threshold was suspended a golden cage, from which a black and white magpie greeted the visitors. CHAPTER THE TWENTY-NINTH I almost fell backwards and broke my legs while staring at all this, for to the left, as we entered, not far from the porter's alcove, an enormous dog upon a chain was painted upon the wall, and above him this inscription, in capitals, BEWARE THE DOG. My companions laughed, but I plucked up my courage, and did not hesitate, but went on and examined the entire wall. There was a scene in a slave market, the tablets hanging from the slaves' necks, and Trimalchio himself, wearing his hair long, holding a caduceus in his hand, entering Rome, led by the hand of Minerva. Then, again, the painstaking artist had depicted him casting up accounts, and still, again, being appointed steward, everything being explained by inscriptions. Where the walls gave way to the portico, Mercury was shown lifting him up by the chin to a tribunal placed on high. Nearby stood Fortune, with her horn of plenty, and the three fates, spinning golden flax. I also took note of a group of runners in the portico taking their exercise under the eye of an instructor, and in one corner was a large cabinet in which was a very small shrine containing silver lares, a marble venus, and a golden casket by no means small, which held, so they told us, the first shavings of Trimalchio's beard. I asked the hall porter what pictures were in the middle hall. The Iliad and the Odyssey, he replied, and the gladiatorial games given under Laenus. There was no time in which to examine them all. Chapter the Thirtieth We had now come to a dining-room, at the entrance to which sat a factor, receiving accounts, and, what gave me cause for astonishment, rods and axes were fixed to the doorposts, superimposed, as it were, upon the bronze beak of a ship, whereon was inscribed, To Gaius Pompeius Trimalchio, Augustal Sever, from Cinemus, his steward. A double lamp, suspended from the ceiling, hung beneath the inscription, and a tablet was fixed to each door-post. One, if my memory serves me, was inscribed, On December 30th and 31st, our Gaius dines out. The other bore a painting of the moon in her phases, and the seven planets, and the days which were lucky, and those which were unlucky, distinguished by distinctive studs. We had had enough of these novelties, and started to enter the dining-room, when a slave, 
detailed to this duty, cried out, Right foot first! Naturally, we were afraid that some of us might break some rule of conduct and cross the threshold the wrong way. Nevertheless, we started out, stepping off together with the right foot, when, all of a sudden, a slave who had been stripped threw himself at our feet and commenced begging us to save him from punishment, as it was no serious offence for which he was in jeopardy. The steward's clothing had been stolen from him in the baths, and the whole value could scarcely amount to ten sesterces. So we drew back our right feet, and intervened with the steward, who was counting gold pieces in the hall, begging him to remit the slave's punishment. Putting a haughty face on the matter, "'It's not the loss I mind so much,' he said, "'as it is the carelessness of this worthless rascal. "'He lost by dinner clothes, "'given me on my birthday they were by a certain client. "'Tyrian purple, too, "'but it had been washed once already. "'But what does it amount to? "'I make you a present.' Of the scoundrel. Chapter the thirty-first. We felt deeply obligated by his great condescension, and the same slave for whom we had interceded rushed up to us as we entered the dining-room, and, to our astonishment, kissed us thick and fast, voicing his thanks for our kindness. You'll know in a minute whom you did a favour for, he confided. The master's wine is the thanks of a grateful butler. At length we reclined, and slave boys from Alexandria poured water cooled with snow upon our hands, while others, following, attended to our feet and removed the hangnails with wonderful dexterity. Nor were they silent even during this disagreeable operation, but they all kept singing at their work. I was desirous of finding out whether the whole household could sing, so I ordered a drink. A boy near at hand instantly repeated my order in a sing-song voice, fully as shrill, and whichever one you accosted did the same. You would not imagine that this was the dining-room of a private gentleman, but rather that it was an exhibition of pantomimes. A very inviting relish was brought on, for by now all the couches were occupied, save only that of Trimalchio, for whom, after a new custom, the chief place was reserved. On the tray stood a donkey made of Corinthian bronze, bearing panniers containing olives, white in one and black in the other. Two platters flanked the figure, on the margins of which were engraved Trimalchio's name, and the weight of the silver in each. Dormus sprinkled with poppy-seed and honey were served on little bridges, soldered fast to the platter, and hot sausage on a silver gridiron, underneath which were damson plums and pomegranate seeds. CHAPTER THE THIRTY-SECOND We were in the midst of these delicacies, when, to the sound of music, 
Trimalchio himself was carried in and bolstered up in a nest of small cushions, which forced a snicker from the less wary. A shaven Paul protruded from a scarlet mantle, and around his neck, already muffled with heavy clothing, he had tucked a napkin, having a broad purple stripe and a fringe that hung down all around. On the little finger of his left hand he wore a massive gilt ring, and on the first joint of the next finger a smaller one, which seemed to me to be of pure gold, but as a matter of fact it had iron stars soldered on all around it, and then, for fear all of this finery would not be displayed, he bared his right arm, adorned with golden armband, and an ivory circlet, clasped with a plate of shining metal. CHAPTER THE THIRTY-THIRD Picking his teeth with a silver quill, "'Friends,' said he, "'it was not convenient for me to come into the dining-room just yet, "'but for fear my absence should cause you any inconvenience, "'I gave over my own pleasure. "'Permit me, however, to finish my game.' "'A slave followed with a terebinth table and crystal dice, "'and I noted one piece of luxury that was superlative.' for instead of black and white pieces, he used gold and silver coins. He kept up a continual flow of various coarse expressions. We were still dallying with the relishes when a tray was brought in, on which was a basket containing a wooden hen, with her wings rounded and spread out as if she were brooding. Two slaves instantly approached, and to the accompaniment of music commenced to feel around in the straw. They pulled out some pea-hens, eggs, which they distributed among the diners. Turning his head, Trimalchio saw what was going on. Friends, he remarked, I ordered pea-hens, eggs set under the hen, but I'm afraid they're addled, by Hercules I am. Let's try them anyhow, and see if they're still fit to suck. We picked up our spoons, each of which weighed not less than half a pound, and punctured the shells, which were made of flour and dough, and, as a matter of fact, I very nearly threw mine away, for it seemed to me that a chick had formed already, but upon hearing an old experienced guest vow there must be something good here i broke open the shell with my hand and discovered a fine fig-pecker embedded in a yolk seasoned with pepper chapter the thirty-fourth having finished his game Trimalchio was served with a helping of everything, and was announcing in a loud voice his willingness to join anyone in a second cup of honeyed wine, when, to a flourish of music, the relishes were suddenly whisked away by a singing chorus, but a small dish happened to fall to the floor in the scurry, and a slave picked it up. Seeing this, Trimalchio ordered that the boy be punished by a box on the ear, 
and made him throw it down again. A janitor followed with his broom and swept the silver dish away among the litter. Next followed two long-haired Ethiopians, carrying small leather bottles, such as are commonly seen in the hands of those who sprinkle sand in the arena, and poured wine upon our hands, for no one offered us water. When complimented upon these elegant extras, the host cried out, Mars loves a fair fight, and so I ordered each one a separate table. That way these stinking slaves won't make us so hot with their crowding. Some glass bottles carefully sealed with gypsum were brought in at that instant. A label bearing this inscription was fastened to the neck of each one. Opimian Falernian one hundred years old. While we were studying the labels, Trimalchio clapped his hands and cried, Ah, me, to think that the wine lives longer than poor little man. Let's fill him up. There's life in wine, and this is the real opimian. You can take my word for that. I offered no such vintage yesterday, though my guests were far more respectable. We were tippling away and extolling all these elegant devices when a slave brought in a silver skeleton, so contrived that the joints and movable vertebra could be turned in any direction. He threw it down upon the table a time or two, and its mobile articulation caused it to assume grotesque attitudes whereupon Trimalchio chimed in, Poor man is nothing in the scheme of things, and Orcus grips us and to Hades flings our bones. The skeleton before us here is as important as we ever were. Let's live, then, while we may, and life is dear. Chapter the Thirty-Fifth the applause was followed by a course which, by its oddity, drew every eye, but it did not come up to our expectations. There was a circular tray around which were displayed the signs of the zodiac, and upon each sign the caterer had placed the food best in keeping with it, rams, vetches on Aries, and a piece of beef on Taurus, kidneys and lamb's fry on Gemini, a crown on Cancer, the womb of an unfarrowed sow on Virgo, an African fig on Leo, on Libra, a balance, one pan of which held a tart, and the other a cake, a small sea-fish on Scorpio, a bull's-eye on Sagittarius, a sea-lobster on Capricornus, a goose on Aquarius, and two mullets on Pisces. In the middle lay a piece of cut sod, upon which rested a honeycomb, with the grass arranged around it. An Egyptian slave passed bread around from a silver oven, and, in a most discordant voice, twisted out a song in the manner of the mime in the musical farce Lacerpecium.
seeing that we were rather depressed at the prospect of busying ourselves with such vile fare trimalchio urged us to fall to let us fall to gentlemen i beg of you this is only the sauce chapter the thirty-sixth while he was speaking four dancers ran in to the time of the music and removed the upper part of the tray beneath on what seemed to be another tray we caught sight of stuffed capons and sow's bellies and in the middle a hare equipped with wings to resemble pegasus at the corners of the tray we also noted four figures of marcius and from their bladders spouted a highly spiced sauce upon fish which were swimming about as if in a tide race all of us echoed the applause which was started by the servants and fell too upon these exquisite delicacies with a laugh carver cried trimalchio no less delighted with the artifice practised upon us and the carver immediately appeared timing his strokes to the beat of the music he cut up the meat in such a fashion as to lead you to think that a gladiator was fighting from a chariot to the accompaniment of a water organ every now and then trimalchio would repeat carver carver in a low voice until i finally came to the conclusion that some joke was meant in repeating a work so frequently so i did not scruple to question him who reclined above me as he had often experienced by-play of this sort he explained you see that fellow who is carving the meat don't you well his name is carver whenever trimalchio says carver carve her by the same word he both calls and commands chapter the thirty-seventh i could eat no more so i turned to my willem informant to learn as much as i could and sought to draw him out with far-fetched gossip i inquired who that woman could be who was scurrying about hither and yon in such a fashion she's called fortunata he replied she's the wife of trimalchio and she measures her money by the peck and only a little while ago what was she may your genius pardon me but you would not have been willing to take a crust of bread from her hand now without rhyme or reason she's in the seventh heaven and is trimalchio's factotum so much so that he would believe her if she told him it was dark when it was broad daylight as for him he don't know how rich he is but this harlot keeps an eye on everything and where you least expect to find her you're sure to run into her she's temperate sober full of good advice and has many good qualities but she has a scolding tongue a very magpie on a sofa those she likes she likes but those she dislikes she dislikes trimalchio himself has estates as broad as the flight of a kite is long 
and piles of money. There's more silver plate lying in his steward's office than other men have in their whole fortunes. And as for the slaves, damn me if I believe a tenth of them knows the master by sight. <laughs> the truth is that these stand-agapes are so much in awe of him that any one of them would step into a fresh dunghill without ever knowing it at a mere nod from him. End of section five.